Bible has the power to change our lives, Lord. And I don't know what needs to be said from this passage. I have notes written down, but I pray you would help me, Lord, that I would be attentive to your uh, Holy Spirit, Lord, that I would be able to help somebody here tonight and that they could maybe learn from your word. And Lord, I, I just ask that you would meet with us tonight, Lord, and help me uh, to be able to preach your Bible. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 13. And like I said, uh, last week we dealt with the first 12 verses there. And we preached on uh, from Saul to Paul. And how uh, Saul became Paul. And now he's Paul. Now he will no longer be referred to as Saul. He's a new man. He's a, a, a mature Christian. And he's in the ministry. And the only time you will find Paul referred to Saul from now on is when he's given his testimony. And he's talking about how Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Other than that, he's Paul. And I'd like you to see, we find another first here. And I don't know if you noticed this, I might have not made this clear when we started uh, Acts chapter number 13. But in Acts 13, when Saul became Paul, do you remember, uh, go back there to verse uh, number 4 in, in Acts 13, it says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Actually look at verse number uh, 2. It says, as a minister to the Lord, and fasted, the Holy Ghost says, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, the Apostle Paul, throughout his life, went on multiple missionary journeys, where he went from uh, different cities to different towns, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, training missionaries, and training pastors. And he went on multiple missionary journeys, where he would start off in Antioch, the church that sent him out. He'd go out... Uh, start these churches, and then he come back and report to the Church of Antioch. Now that's what a, uh, a missionary does in, in the Bible, uh, a biblical missionary. A pastor would be a person who would be sent out of a church to go establish a new church. And then they would uh, stay there, you know. So, so like, for example, my wife and I came out, uh, and I was sent out from Fellowship Baptist Church. Pastor Mark Lewis sent me out to start this church here in Sacramento. We're not ever leaving, you know. We're planning on dying here. We're not going back to uh, our home church to, you know, to anything like that. that. That's not our home church anymore. This is our home church. And we might go back there and fellowship with them and, and have uh, friendship with them, have them preach for us and, and so forth. But uh, we're not going back. But a missionary, their job was to start churches... And they would start churches, and then they would take those converts, and they would uh, train them and help them mature, just like we're doing here. But they would also, you know, he might stay there years at a church. And then they would take a young man, and they'd train him to be the pastor of that church. And then when they had a pastor who could continue on the work, he'd go on and plant another church. So that's what Paul did. That's what his life was about as a missionary. And in Acts 13... He sent out on his first missionary journey. That's what we've been studying in Acts 13. And if you look at verse number uh, thir- number 14, it's interesting because they get to the city. It says, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now you've got to understand, this Antioch is a different Antioch than the Antioch that he was sent out of. You know, just like to, you know, we have an Antioch, California. A city called Antioch. And you can go in different states and there will be another Antioch there. So it's just a different city by the same name. But they get to this Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So they're in the synagogue. They're sitting there in the service. Look at verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now here's what's interesting. They're in this synagogue. 
They read the Bible, just like we do. We read the Bible before the service. But then this guy, the leaders, they decide to open it up. And they say, okay, if anybody has something they'd like to say, say on. Go ahead. Does anybody have anything they'd like to say? Now, here's, here's what's, you know, that was, that was a big mistake on their part. Because what they didn't know is that they've got Paul the Apostle in the auditorium. You know, and Paul is a preacher of the Word of God. And if you're going to say, hey, does anybody have a testimony? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I've been in churches where... Where sometimes people will ask, uh, oh, does anybody have a quick testimony they'd like to give? And somebody stands up and they, and they you know, 45 minutes. Uh, actually, this is a true story. My dad, he's a, a pastor for a Spanish ministry in, in, in Woodland. And he said, before a Sunday morning service, he said, uh, does anybody have a testimony? They'd like, this was maybe about a month ago. Does anybody have a testimony they'd like to give? And a man said, I have a testimony. And 55 minutes later, he was done with his testimony. And my dad said, well, let's just pray and be dismissed because we don't have time for any preaching. You know, and that's, and that's, that's really what Paul did at this time. You know, he said, anybody have something to say? And, he, and, and look, if you look for verse 15, the Bible says, and that's a true story, I'm not even joking. The Bible says that after the reading of the law, that's why I don't ask for testimonies, because I like to preach. And after the reading of the testimony, uh, the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent them to them saying, ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And if you look at verse 16, then Paul stood up. <laughs> you know, so he said, oh, all right. And beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Now here's what's interesting. The last part of chapter 13, or most of the part of the last part of verse 13, uh, chapter 13, we find Paul's first recorded sermon in Scripture. Now I'm not saying this was the first sermon he ever preached, but it was the first sermon we've got recorded in Scripture for us, and he begins to preach to these people. And I'd like you to look at what he says to them. Let's go ahead and read verse 16 again. I poured a water off of myself and I think I left it back there. It's funny. But look at verse 16. That's fine. The Bible says, Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manner, their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by law. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of forty years. Now, what he's doing here, he's going through their history of the Jews there, of their people, of their religion. And if, if you read that and some of that didn't make sense, and he, you know, you didn't understand that, you, you ought to be reading your Old Testament. You read, you read your Old Testament. You know, come to church on Sunday nights, we're preaching through the Old Testament, that'll help you learn it. But, uh, you know, the Old Testament... Uh, really teaches and focuses on that. And, and it's funny because Paul makes a very good point as to why that's important. He's, he's kind of giving the introduction of his sermon here, and he's giving the history. And he says, you know, you were in the land of Egypt. Now, we've been preaching through the book of Genesis, and hopefully if you've been with us on Sunday nights, you now, from the, you know, if you've been with us every service on Sunday nights through the book of Genesis, hopefully you have an understanding how from the creation of, of the universe in Genesis chapter 1, you know, going through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now we're saying about Joseph, and, and you'll be able to see there how the children of Israel went 
initially went down into Egypt, and then how they prospered in Egypt, and how they were enslaved in Egypt, and God had to send uh, Moses to free them from the slavery that they were in Egypt, and then Joshua, you know, they were there in the wilderness, Joshua led them into the, the promised land there, and, uh, and then we had the judges, the book of judges there, spans about 450 years, and you had all those judges, and then Samuel the prophet was the last judge that they had, and then they asked for a king, then you got the books of 1st, 2nd Samuel, and that deals with Saul and David, the first, uh, Saul the first king, David the second king, then you've got 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles dealing with the rest of the kings and all of that. So very interesting. All of that, you know, you should be reading and understanding and learning from it. And by the grace of God, we'll be preaching through every one of those stories and every one of those verses and chapters there. But he's given them the history of, their, uh, of, of how they got to where they got. And you look at verse 21, the Bible says, And afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised them up unto them, David, to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony, and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So he goes through their history, talks about Saul, talks about David, and he kind of highlights David here a little bit. And it's interesting when he says about David, because the Bible says this, God said about David, He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. And isn't this interesting that God said this about this? And wouldn't you want God to say this about you? A man after mine own heart. Isn't that interesting? That God would look at a man, David, and say, you know what? There is a man who is after mine own heart. Keep in mind, that's God speaking. So David, according to God, was a man after God's own heart. Was a man who, who had a desire for the heart of God. And that's very interesting. You say, how did David attain that? Keep reading the verse. He said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And look what he says. Here's how you get, here's how you become a man after God's own heart, or a woman after God's own heart. Which shall fulfill all my will. Say, how, how do you become a man after God's own heart? You fulfill the will of God for your life. And David fulfilled God's will. And the Bible, here's interesting. He said he fulfilled all said, fulfilled all my will. Remember on Sunday night we were talking about the will of God, and I won't go back to the verses there, but in Romans, where it says that, that He has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And we saw there in Romans 12, how it said, you know, that, uh, you know, be not conformed to this world, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you say, you know, if you find the will of God, you say, how do I find the will of God? Uh... By being like and conforming to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you do that, God says you'll be a man after God's own heart. And that's a great testimony there. I mean, what's the God that God could say of us that that is a man after God's own heart? Now notice, He didn't say He's a perfect man. Here's what I find interesting. David is one of the few, few characters in the Bible. And it's easy to get down on David sometimes. Because David's one of the few characters in the Bible that the Bible has so much information about his life. I mean, the entire books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, not, not the entire book, but a huge part of those books deal simply with the life of David. And Joseph is another one that the Bible talks a lot about, but, you know, we're, we're studying Joseph on, on Sunday nights, but Joseph, not nearly as much as it talks about David. And David, you know, performed some hard sins, some bad sins. David, uh, 
committed adultery. David, the Bible says, killed a man because of his adultery. He, and he lied about it, you know, and, and he tried to cover it up. And, and he did all these bad things. And here's what I find interesting. And one of the one of the punishments that David received for all that sin, you know, not only did the baby die that that came about because of the adultery, and not only did the sword never depart his house and all those different things, but the Bible says that he missed out on some of the stuff that God had prepared for him. Because God said, you know, I would have if it, it wasn't enough what I'd given you already, I would have given you such and such things. You know, he said, I would have given you more. I had more things planned for you, David, but now you're going to miss out on those things because of your sin. But here's what's the interesting part. God tells us in, in, in the Old Testament that David missed out on things in his life because of his sin. But here in the book of Acts, it says that he fulfilled all my will. Isn't that interesting? So see, you you know, sometimes we, we get this idea, I messed up, I sinned, I did wrong, you know, is there any hope for me anymore? And here's the thing, you can sin and you can mess up and look, it's not a good thing, you will reap what you sow, and you may miss out on the blessings that God has for your life, and God, you know, may be planning things for you, and, and you may disqualify yourself from those things, but look, even if you mess up, even if you sin, even if you ruin it, even if you, you know, just completely mess everything up, you you can still live for God after that, and God said you can still fulfill His entire will. The Bible says that He fulfilled all my will. I, I find that very interesting. All your will, He fulfilled all of it? Even after uh, the adultery, even after the murder, even after you said that He missed out on some of the stuff He had planned, He still fulfilled all of it. You say, how does that work? I don't know. But you know, none of us should have this excuse, oh, I messed up, and now I can't live for God. David did it. And at the end of David's life, the Apostle Paul, when preaching about him, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because it's written in the book of Acts, it says that he fulfilled all my will. And that's why, my friend, David was found a man after God's own heart. And I don't know about you, but I'd like, I'd like God to say that about me. You know, David was a human being just like you and I. You, you don't say, you know, don't think, well, David was special. David, no, he was a person just like you and I. And so if David could have a heart after God's, uh, uh, could be a man after God's own heart, you and I can do it. And, and, and we, could, we could be that type of person. And you say, how do we do it? We've got to fulfill His will. But here's what's interesting. Paul is preaching, right? Going through all their history. Egypt, the judges, Samuel, Saul, David. And then he highlights David because David is the hero of the Jews, of the Jewish people. I mean, if you're going to talk about uh, a, a national hero, you know, David was it. And he highlights David and talks about him. But the point that he's making is this. He's really making, he's really making this point. He's saying, what was the point to these people? He's saying, you know, God chose you out. God chose our fathers when they were strangers in Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt. God chose our fathers, and God brought them out, and God gave them judges, God gave them great men uh, to judge over them, God gave them great men like Samuel, like Saul, like David, God brought us through this place, God brought us, you know, did all these things for us, and he's asking, he's really highlighting this, because he's asking these people, what was the point? What was the point of Egypt? What was the point of Moses? What was the point of the judges? What was the point of Samuel? What was the point of, of King David? What was the point of all of this? And if you look down at verse number 23, he gets to the point, he says, 
of this man's seed, talking about David, he says, of this man's seed, hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior. If you remember from the Old Testament, God loved David so much that He promised him that the Messiah would come from his descendants. And He promised him that the Messiah, at the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ will reign on the throne of David, is what the Bible says. And, the, and, and Paul is bringing attention to this in verse 23. He says, you know David, your national hero? You know David, the guy that you love so much? You know David, who we care about, who we uh, hold up as a great man, and he was a great man, and he was a great hero, and he had uh, a heart after God, a uh, man after God's own heart, and all of that? He says, you know what the point of all of that? Of why we know about Goliath, why we know about the Old Testament, why we know about Joseph, why we preach those stories, and listen to that, and know He says, the point of all that is in verse 23, he says, uh, this man seed hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior. And I like how he says, he says a Savior, comma, Jesus. Because he was saying, here, was, here is the point. He said, what is the point of our history? What is the point of everything we know? He said, here is the point. Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus. He says, that's why we know about all that history. That's why we got the Levitical law and the law of Moses and all those different things. Because one day a Messiah would come and He said, I want you to understand that the point was this, Jesus Christ. But here's the sad part. Look at verse 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem, because remember, He's on a missionary journey, right? So He says, but let me tell you something. There are some people who dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have filled them in, they have fulfilled them in condemnation, and though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. You know what he's saying? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, what was the point of all our history? What was the point of all those things? All those things that God did, parting the Red Sea and and, uh, tumbling down the walls of Jericho and and all those mighty acts that He did and David killing Goliath and all that. What was the point? He said, the point was this, Jesus Christ. But then He says, you know what the sad part is? Some people have missed the point. Some people completely miss out. They're very highly into their religion. They're very highly into the Jews' religion. They're very highly into the law of Moses. They're very highly into all those things. But they could not even recognize Jesus Christ. He says, For they that dwell, look at verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem, and their rulers, look what he says, Because they knew Him not. So they didn't know Jesus Christ. Why did they not know Him? Nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day. You know what he's saying? He's saying they did not know their Bibles. They did not know the prophets. The prophets are read every Sabbath day. And the, uh, you know, they're, they're read out. You can get the scriptures. You can read it. But because they did not know the Old Testament. You see, that's why Sunday night church is so important. It's because some people actually died and went to hell. Because they did not understand the Old Testament. They didn't understand the Bible. They didn't understand the prophecies. They didn't understand the pictures. Didn't you like, I don't know about you, but I loved it on on Sunday night uh, when we were preaching about Joseph. There, Just that first chapter about Joseph. How many parallels there were between Joseph and Jesus Christ? I love that kind of stuff. And, And there's way more. But these people didn't understand that stuff. So they couldn't recognize Jesus. 
And that's why you got to know your Bible. And, and look, let me tell you, some people try to ignore the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But uh, I got here. My Bible has no commentary in it. It has no, no train like that. This is just complete text. Just no, no other notes or anything written. This is, I don't know if you can look up here, but this is the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. Do you see the difference? The Old Testament is much bigger than the New Testament. And sometimes we as Christians, you know, I I know of some churches that they just, we don't really go into the Old Testament, we just study the New Testament, we just talk about Jesus, and that's all. We don't really want to get into all that deep stuff in the Old Testament. And they're, they're, they're doing a disadvantage to themselves and to the people they're preaching to. Because look, most of the Bible is the Old Testament. And I'm all about the New Testament. I'm all about Jesus Christ and that. And we should focus in. That's why we at Wednesday night, we're preaching through every book of the New Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You stick with us and we will have preached through every book in the New Testament, chapter by chapter. You say, what will we do once we're done with every book in the New Testament? We're just going to start over again. We'll just go through it again. And because, look, we, we, I'm telling you something, we missed a lot on the, you know, through the years. And, and there's, we can't, the, the Bible has so much truth and knowledge in it, we can't get it all. But, you know, we ought to be studying the New Testament, but you ought to be reading the Old Testament too. And you ought to be learning the Old Testament too. And you ought to be understanding, because the Old Testament points to the New Testament. And the Old Testament teaches us about the, the New Testament. And most of the Bible is the Old Testament. But look at verse uh, 27. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, so, because they didn't understand the Bible, they have fulfilled them in, condem- in condemning Him. So, here's what he's saying. He's saying the prophets prophesied that there's going to be people who are going to kill the Messiah, and because they didn't know the Bible, they actually fulfilled that prophecy of condemning the Messiah because they didn't understand who the Messiah was because they didn't know the Bible. So, look at verse 28. And though they found no cause of death, he says, even though he didn't do anything to die, though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. They missed the point. They missed Jesus Christ. They got the law. They got Moses. They got David. But they missed the purpose of all of that, which was Jesus Christ. Not only that, but they missed the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Look at verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, so there he mentions the death of Jesus. Yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, so there we have mentioned the cross and his death, and laid him in a sepulchre, there we have mentioned the burial. But God raised him from the dead. There we have mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There you have it, the gospel. I won't take the time to go through it, but Acts 15 makes it very clear that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news or good tidings. And, and he just went through that. He explains to them that Jesus died on a cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the grave. Look at verse 31. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So he's saying, look... People saw him after he resurrected from the grave. We have witnesses. They, they, we have written accounts. Look at verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings. You know what glad tidings is? The gospel. The word gospel means good news or glad tidings. So you, don't, so you see there what he's doing. I mean, we're outlining Paul's sermon. He's not just babbling off. He's got a point. He's saying the death, the, the, the cross, 
the sepulchre, the, he was raised from the grave, and then he mentions glad, glad tidings. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel to them. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto our fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again. And it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Do you remember we were talking about that on Sunday night? God, Jesus, is God's begotten son, not His only son. I'm God's son. You're God's son if you're saved. Jesus got begotten son. And the NIV says his one and only son. So that's wrong doctrine. If Jesus is God's one and only son, then the rest of us are going to die and go to hell. Because the only reason I can get to heaven is because I've been born again into the family of God. So, there, but there we go again. Second Psalm says, God said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up, so he says, concerning the fact that he raised him from the grave, raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption... He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So there, I want you to go back with me to Acts chapter number 2, and look at verse number 22. It's very interesting, because the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2 and verse 22, it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands, and have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Now this is Peter's sermon. Notice how, what were they preaching? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Having loosed his the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it, for David speaketh concerning him. So he's referring to the same passage. For I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now this is David, this is in the book of Psalms. David is prophesying, and speaking the words that Jesus Christ would speak one day. So he's prophesying in the book of Psalms that prophesies about David. This is why you got to read the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, this is a quote from Jesus in the Old Testament. He said, Because I will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy ones to see corruption. So you see there, the Bible says, and I want you to notice this, because this is a doctrine that's attacked by a lot of Christians today. The Bible says that Jesus' soul went down to hell. When he died on the cross, and he was buried for three days and three nights, you remember? His body was set in the sepulchre, but his soul was in hell. It says, he said, Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, neither shall thou suffer thine holy ones to see corruption. So, here's what you got to say. Jesus went to hell for three days and three nights to pay for our sins. Because, see, what is the payment of sin? Death, yes, but hell. If you died without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you would die and go to hell. And if Jesus was going to pay for our sins, He couldn't just pay for it by dying physically. Because if He just died physically, did He pay for my sins? No, because look, I may die physically. But I'm not going to die and go to hell, because He paid my sin in hell. And you ought to let that consume you. The fact that the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, who was God in the flesh, who created the universe, went down to hell and suffered in hell to pay for your sins. Isn't that interesting? And the other thing, he, said, he talks about the corruption there. 
And that corruption is dealing with his body. Go with me to John, chapter number 11. John, chapter number 11, look at verse number 39. John, chapter number 11, look at verse 39. Lazarus was being, if, if, you, if you were with us when we were preaching through the book of John, you may remember that Jesus was resurrecting Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus died, and he was coming to resurrect him. And the Bible says in verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. So he's there at the sepulcher. He's getting ready to resurrect Lazarus from the grave. And he says, remove the stone that's covering the cave where they buried him. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. So what is she saying? Saying, God, Lord, his body stinks. You know, he's a dead, it's a dead body. It's a corpse. It stinks. Why? Because it's corruption. It's corrupting. But look what she says. I find this very interesting. By this time is, he stinketh. Look what he says. For he hath been dead four days. Do you see that? So Lazarus had been dead four days. And this is what she says. If we take that stone away, his body smells bad because it's been corrupting for four days. Look at verse 40. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that? If thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grace clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin, Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. That must have been quite a sight, right? I mean, they, they remove the stone, she's like, oh, his body's going to stink, he's been dead for four days, his body's going to stink. And he just says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes this mummy, you know, just coming out. Because he's just wrapped up, you know, because they wrapped him up, you know, their body, and they covered their face with a napkin, and he's just coming out, and he's like alive, and he can't see, and they're like, loose him, you know. And, and if you're with us when we were studying the book of John, you got to learn some about Lazarus there, and he became a great testimony and stuff. Go back with me to Acts 13. But here's what's interesting. is the Bible says, and, and we saw there in Acts chapter number 2, and also in Acts 13, it says, uh, look at verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw, no corrupt, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So, you know, sometimes people ask me this question, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he have to die for three days? Well, I believe, and, and you know, there might be other reasons, but I believe one of the reasons is because the Bible says his body never corrupted. Now, John, Lazarus, it said his body did corrupt. It stank. He was dead four days. Jesus was dead three days. So his body never corrupted, according to the Bible. Now, I don't know, you know, does science agree with that? I don't know, but that's what the Bible says. So he died for three days, and his body saw no corruption. So God raised him from the grave before his body started decaying. Does that make sense? So his body saw no corruption. But here's what you got to understand. This proves the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go with me to John chapter number 2. Let me show you another passage here. You say, well, why, why, does that, why, do, why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. Today there is a religion called the Jehovah's Witnesses. And the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, that he did not have a bodily resurrection. Now, if you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll say, uh, you know, 
oh, you know, you ask them, do you believe Jesus rose from the grave? They'll say, yeah, yeah, he, he rose from the grave. We believe that he rose from the grave. But, but they don't believe he, he is bodily resurrected from the grave. They believe that he rose back like a spirit. Okay? But part of the gospel is, what is the gospel? We saw Peter talk about it. We saw Paul talk about it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you mess with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you mess with the gospel. And the gospel is going to save you. So if a Jehovah's Witness says, I believe that Jesus resurrected from the grave, but not physically. That's impossible. He just resurrected spiritually. He's like a ghost. Well, look, they don't believe the gospel. Because the Bible makes it very clear that not only, we read there in Acts chapter 2, his soul was not left in hell, yes, but his body did not see corruption either. Because he was only dead for three days, as opposed to Lazarus who was dead for four days. Does that make sense? Go with me to John chapter 2, look at verse number 18. The Bible says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? So they're asking Jesus, you know, what sign are you going to give us? 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up three days? So, just understand, they're asking, what sign are you going to give us? He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, they look at the physical temple, you know, the, the Solomon's temple there that they have. He said, this temple was being built for 46 years, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But look what he says, verse 21. But he spake of the temple of his body. So, see, Jesus said that he was going to resurrect his body. So, you, so these Jehovah's Witnesses, they well, no, 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 we believe it, but we don't believe it's a bodily resurrection. Then you're not saved. Because he said that I'm going to resurrect my body. Go with me to John chapter number uh, 20. This one isn't even in my my notes. I just... Well, John 2.18 wasn't in my notes either. But this one, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, Because I'd like you to see this. John chapter... Let's see. I know it's right here. I'm just missing it for some reason. Look at verse number... uh, Well, let's just start reading verse 19. Look what it says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, the fear of the Jews came, Jesus... This is when Jesus, just so you understand, He just resurrected from the grave. So the doors are shut. They're hiding from the Jews because Jesus just died three days ago. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hand and his side. Then were they, the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, look what he said. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples uh, therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, said his disciple, uh, eight days again his disciples were with within. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So you see there, 
He's having them touch his hands, his side. He's having him touch them, you know, touch him, and he's having them, you know, show them and, and uh, letting them see that that he resurrected from the grave. And there was another passage I was trying to find, but I can't find it, where he actually says to them, you know, uh, a spirit hath not uh, flesh and flesh and bones as you see me have. But um, I can't find it. I thought it was here. I must have been somewhere else. But anyway, let's go back to Acts chapter number 13. But I want you to see that, that when you're talking about the death and re- the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, His body is a huge part of that. He, he didn't, he, his body did not see corruption, is what the Bible says. So because he didn't see corruption, he was dead for three days. His soul went to hell, and then his body was dead and did not see corruption. And he's explained them the gospel. But the point is this, that these people missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They missed the point of all of it, because they missed Jesus Christ. And I want you to drop down and look at verse number 38. The Bible says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's the point. That through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 39. And by Him, all that believe... This is a very important verse. The word believe means faith. Okay, faith and belief mean the same thing. To have faith in something is to believe in something. And Bible says, and by Him, Jesus Christ, all that believe are justified from all things. So how can I get justified from all the things I've ever done? Here's how you do it: by believing on Jesus Christ. I, I, somebody said the word justified. You know, justified is like being is like is like let's say you were at a you were in court, you know, and, and they were they were judging you because of what something you did, and being justified is like you were found not guilty, okay? And he forgives you of your sins, and you can be found not guilty. Somebody said justified, you know, it's like it's just if I never sinned. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified is, and you get justified by believing on the Lord. But I want you to see this, verse 39. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Do you see that? He says to them, you could not be justified by the law of Moses, but you can be justified by believing on Jesus Christ, because by Him you can have the forgiveness of sins. Go with me to Galatians. You're there in Acts. The very next book is the book of Romans. Then you got First and Second Corinthians. Then you've got the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. And you've got to understand a few things, okay? These, these people were religious, weren't they? Do you remember when, where, where is Paul preaching the sermon? At the synagogue. So these were religious people. Good people. They were at... You know, you could say they were in church, and a synagogue is not church, so don't misunderstand it. But they were at their religious service, on the Sabbath day, on the day that they were supposed to be there. The religious people are good people. And this is what Paul is preaching to them. You understand the history. You understand Moses, and Egypt, and the judges, and, and uh, Samuel, and Saul, and David, and the kings. You understand all of it. You get all of it. You're, you're in that religion. You're in church. You're doing the right thing. You're getting all these things. But you miss the point if you miss Jesus Christ. And you know what we've what we got to understand today? Is do not 
get this idea, okay? That just because someone says they are a Christian, that they are saved, okay? Because most Christians, I'm telling you that most, and please don't misunderstand this, most people who say they are Christians are not saved. And if you don't believe me, come soul winning with me and I'll prove it to you. Because most people believe that they can be justified by the law. Now we preached on this on Sunday morning a little bit, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but go with me to Galatians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 21. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse 21. And I'm telling you right now, let go soul winning with me and knock on someone's door who's a Catholic. Knock on someone's door who's a Jehovah's Witness. Knock on someone's door who's a Mormon. Knock on someone's door who's a Pentecostal. Knock on someone's door who's a non-denominational. And I promise you, the average person I knock on, come with me. If you don't believe me, those of you who got so many, you know this is true. You knock on somebody's door. They open the door. Hi, how you doing? Coming from Verity Baptist Church. Wanted to give you an invitation to church. Oh, thanks. We appreciate that. Well, listen, more than going to church. Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you die today, would you go to heaven? And, and the average Christian, you know, some people who are unbelievers will say, oh, I don't know. But the average Christian will probably say, oh, I, I think I go to heaven. And you ask them, well, how do you know that? What gives you that assurance that you're on your way to heaven? And here's what the most common answer is. Because I live a good life. I try to be a good person. I go to church. I got baptized. I, and whatever their answer is, I spoke in tongues. I repented of my sins. You know, all religions, I got catechized. I went to the confession. All the religions have their little things. But you know what they're saying? Here's what they're saying. I keep the law. I keep the commandments. I try to live a good life. I, here's a comment. I live by the golden rule. Hey, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for all of that. Keep all the commandments and do all that. But we saw there in Acts 13, 39, and by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So can you be justified by keeping the law? No, you cannot. The Bible says you can. Look at Galatians chapter number 3. Look at verse 21. Let me prove it to you even more. Galatians chapter number 3. I'm in Ephesians. Galatians chapter number 3. And look at verse number 21. You say, well, don't we have to keep the law? Not for salvation. Look at what it says. Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. Look what he says. For if there had been a... If there had... For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. Do you see that? He says, if there was a law given, that could have, verily, you know, that could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. Now, do you remember in Acts 13, uh, where it says that we're justified by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? But he says, if there was a law that could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. Look at verse 22. But the scripture has concluded all understand. Say, well, why, why is that? Well, do you remember uh, on Sunday morning when we were in John, uh, James chapter number 2, and we talked about verse 10. I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So the Bible says the scripture has concluded all under sin. Because even the most good person, if they just break the law at one point, they're guilty of the whole thing. And look, all of us have broken the law at some point. 
every, the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every single one of us has le- at least told a lie. But we've all stolen, we've all had a bad thought, we've all said a bad word, we've all done things, you know, and we all break the law. And here's where most religious, they're trying to justify, you know, well, I, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so, you know, I go to church, and I teach Sunday school, and I got this, you know, whatever. But the Bible says that the law can't save you. Look at verse 22. But the scripture have concluded, all understand that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that, notice how that word keeps coming up, believe. That the promise by faith, not by the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, notice what he says, here's the point of the law. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. That word schoolmaster is an old word for teacher. The law was our teacher to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You say, I don't understand. Let me explain to you. God said that He gave us the law. Let's just take the Ten Commandments, for example. Now, there's way more commandments in the Bible than just the Ten Commandments, but you know, that's something we're all familiar with. God says He gave us the law to be our schoolmaster, to teach us and to bring us to Christ. Okay? So, He gives us the law, and here's what the point of the law is. God says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness. You, know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, you should do this. And then we match our life up against the law, and then we see, wow, I came short of that. I, I'm, I have broken God's law. And then when you see that you've broken God's law, and it teaches you that you're a sinner, then you say, wow, I'm a sinner, and I'm going to go to hell. I need a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law. But here's where most religions have flipped it. They don't have the law be a schoolmaster. They just say, keep the law, and if you live a good enough life, you'll go to heaven. They have it backwards. Okay? Because, look, if I, have to, if I have to get baptized to go to heaven, then it, you're asking me to keep the law, it doesn't matter. I can try to keep the law all day long. I've, I'm already a sinner. I've already broken the law. So, see, the law, there's nothing wrong with the law. It's just supposed to teach us that we need a Savior. Not, we're not supposed to try to make it our Savior. Look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God. Now, according to the NIV, that's not true. Because <laughs> there's only one, you know, there's only one uh, Son of God, and that's Jesus, according to the NIV. But it says, For ye are all the children of God. How did you become the child of God? By faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have been put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you see there, it's very clear, as we say in the Bible, salvation does not come by keeping the law. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. The law tells us that we need a Savior. Because look, if there was no law, would you feel, would you, then you, Paul said this, he, he said, I would not have known what lust was if it wasn't for the law. So if there was no law, then you wouldn't know that you were a sinner. And if you didn't know you were a sinner, then you wouldn't need a savior. And somebody said, let me, let me save you. Let me show you how you can be saved through Jesus Christ. And you say, saved from what? I don't need a savior. But see, when we show you, hey look, you're a sinner. 
and the wages of sin is death. And, you know, there's, there's eternal death and eternal uh, fire and, and hell, and you're going to go to hell in your sins. Then you're like, whoa, I need a Savior. You see what I'm saying? That's the point. But most religions have flipped it. So you say, you, you, here's what I'm trying to say. Most religions have missed the point. Just like the Jews. They understand Jesus died on the cross. They understand the Bible. They understand the thing. But they're still trying to attain salvation through the works of the law. And it's, that's not the point. They miss the point. And go, go back with me to Acts chapter number 13. Look at, look at the... We're almost done. Look at, look at what he says to them. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your day, a work which ye shall no wise believe, Though a man declared unto you. You know, here's what he's saying. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't miss the point. He's saying, they miss the point in Jerusalem, you don't miss it. He said, don't let this be said of you, that you're a despiser, and that you will not believe, though a man declare it unto you. Let's just finish up the rest of the chapter real quick. I want you to see this. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles we saw that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Isn't that an exciting book? Uh, an exciting verse? Man, I'd love, I'd love that to be said of Verity Baptist Church one day. That all the city came out to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those, those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So they get envy because... Paul's got a crowd, and they don't. You know, and that's obviously a dumb thing. It should be about the Word of God. You know, that's why people, sometimes people come to this church and say, I, you know, I, I've literally had people tell me this. I love your church, I love the preaching, I'm learning the Bible, but I want to go somewhere where there's more people. And I'm like, okay. You know, obviously, obviously it's not about the Word of God then, you know, because obviously we're a new church, we're going to be small as we're starting out, you know, but, and when people say that to me, I just think to myself, well, you weren't the right person for our church anyway. Because we want people who, are interested in the Word of God, not just a show, you know, or whatever. Believe verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed both and said it was not necessary that the word it, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you, but seeing no I want you to see this this what he says. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. See when these when these people say no, it's not just faith in Jesus Christ. And people mock at us and say, so you believe that if you just believe in Jesus Christ, then He'll save you from your sins. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to repent of your sins. You don't have to mock at us. It's like, look, yeah, I don't have to do anything because Jesus paid it all. Jesus died on the cross. Can I add something to the work that God did on the cross? I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine if, if, if you were going to die and I gave my son's life to save your life. And you came up to, say, to me and said, Hey, listen. Look, I know, I know you gave up your son's life to save me. I, I want to make it up to you. Here's five bucks. I mean, do you think that would fly? If your son or your daughter died and, to save someone and they try to pay, back, pay you back. But see, that's what these religions are doing. Hey, God. Hey, Jesus, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He went to hell for three days. Oh, really? Okay. Well, here, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'll put in my part. I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll get baptized. I mean, you can't even measure up. 
I'm not trying to pay him back. He, he paid me again. He did it. I just accept it by faith. But see, these people, they got it mixed up. They're missing the point. Look at verse... Uh, and, and here's what they're doing. He said, you're judging yourself unworthy of everlasting, of everlasting life. Because it's available. It's paid. All you got to do is accept it by faith. But because you're trying to add works to it, you're trying to add the law to it, you're judging yourself unworthy of it. Now here's the point. Hopefully you haven't missed the point. Hopefully you get it. Hopefully you understand. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not of works. Not of the law. But let me ask you this. If you haven't missed the point, you know someone who has. Don't just assume, oh yeah, they go to so-and-so church. They must be saved. They're probably not. I'm telling you right now, they're probably not. Because if they're still trusting in their works, they're not saved. Righteousness does not come by the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just show you one more verse before we done. Look at verse 36. It's very interesting that Paul was highlighting David throughout this entire passage. And one day, I'm going to preach just on David in Acts 13, because it's very interesting the things he says about David. But I want you to see, in verse 36, it says this, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. Do you see that? Do you remember we saw David was a man after God's own heart? Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because he fulfilled all the will of God. And then here we have the will of God mentioned again. But it says, he served his own generation. Why? By the will of God. You know what the will of God is for your life? I know, we talked about it. To be conformed to the image of his son. But a lot, part of that is this. Serving your generation. The Bible says, David, after he had served his own generation. Isn't that a great statement? I would love, I would love when I die one day, on my tombstone, for someone to write the words, he served his own generation. He did something for his generation. He tried to get people saved. He tried to get people in church. He tried to teach in the Bible. He was a servant, and he was trying to get people saved. He was trying to change people's life. He was serving his own generation. Let me ask you this. Can that be said of your life? That you're serving that you're out there in the highways and hedges, like the Bible says, out in the trenches, knocking the doors, trying to preach the gospel, trying to get you say, I can't be a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor. I can't be a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be any of that. Look, Paul was preaching the gospel, remember last week when he was and Saul. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a pastor. That's just a title. You can go out there with the Word of God and serve your generation. You say, I'd like to be a man after God's own heart. Well, are you serving your generation? Are you trying to get people saved? Are you trying? Because look, you know what Paul's trying to do? Paul wasn't trying to tell these people, you guys are dumb, you don't understand it. He, his heart broke for these people. And he was trying to explain to them, look, you, you get it. You, you get all of it. But you miss Jesus Christ. And here's the sad part about most religions in Sacramento, California right now. They get Jesus. They get the Bible. They get all of that. But if they're still trying to earn their way to heaven, they miss the entire point that it's just... Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we're trying to do. Is show people. I mean, I, I can tell you how many countless doors I've knocked on. People that go to other churches. And that's okay. And they, you know, they can keep going there, no problem. But we just explain to them to God. Just show them. Look, salvation is not by works. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift that God wants to give you. It's eternal life. And so many people say, wow. Man, I never understood that. And they'll pray, you know, with us. And they'll be so glad if someone just explained that to them. Because... We don't want people to miss the point. Because if you miss the point, they die and go to heaven. Because if you miss the point, you miss the gospel. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father.
Thank you, Lord, for your word.